Swept to Sea by Matthew Fiennes Clinton. Rick Storm stared at the mountainous waves in horror. A child was drowning and only he could save him. Wow, look at those waves. Ten-year-old Michael Pratt stood with his brother, Richard, 13, at the base of Bannister's Point, a rocky bluff some 200 kilometres south of Sydney, and gaped at the ocean in awe. At noon on this Thursday in December, four-metre waves thundered into shore, remnants of storms that had blown up on the Tasman Sea, sending tremors through the rock beneath the boy's feet. Backwash turned the sea near the coast into a seething maelstrom. Don't get close, warned Richard. Before cycling to the cliffs from their home in nearby Mollymook, his mother Trish had instructed Richard to look after his impetuous younger brother. Too often Trish tended Michael's cuts and bruises. You're going to get into real trouble if you don't slow down, she admonished him that morning. Shaped like a mallet head and flanked on either side by beaches, the headland was encircled by a rock shelf, broken up by coves and rugged spikes of rock thrusting into the sea. The boys picked their way northwards along the shelf, chattering excitedly. At the lip of a turbulent inlet, Michael eyed a crevice in a stretch of rock that sloped to the sea like a boat ramp. It looked perfect for exploring. I want to check if there are sea anemones inside, he said. Okay, but be quick, Richard told him. As Michael lowered his skinny body into the crack and peered inside, he heard a roaring sound like an approaching jet. He looked up to see his brother's eyes widening. Mikey, get up, shouted Richard, reeling backwards. A big wave's coming. Too late. A torrent crashed over Michael, springing him from the crevice like a cork. His fingers scrabbled against clumps of weed, but the backwash pulled him inexorably clear of the rock shelf, then underwater. Terrified, Michael saw only Grey as an undercurrent dragged him along the ocean floor. I've got to breathe. Windmilling his arms, he struggled upwards until, at last, his head broke the surface. He greedily sucked in air and trod water, astonished to see he was thirty metres from land. His shirt and shoes had been ripped away, leaving him only in his board shorts. On the shore, his brother stared helplessly. Help me, Richard! Michael yelled. A hundred metres south, on the other side of a narrow point, Rick and Debbie Storm were preparing to cast lines into a cove from a large boulder. Rick, a stocky 29-year-old bricklayer, glanced at Debbie, 23. A dollar for whoever gets the first fish, he said. Debbie grinned. You're on. It was their usual wager. The storms were on the first day of a week-long holiday. Rick especially needed the break. When his father died from a heart attack the week before, he and Debbie had driven with their two children from their home in Brisbane to Tamora, New South Wales, for the funeral before travelling east to Mollymook. Rick had grown up here. He hoped their holiday in the familiar spot would help him come to terms with his grief. A sudden shout startled Rick and Debbie. They looked up to see a wiry boy running towards them. Can you help me? he panted. My brother's fallen into the sea. Anxiety gnawed at Rick. Any kid falling in today is in big trouble, he told himself. The youngster pointed back across the rocky finger and out to sea. There's Michael. Squinting against the glare, Rick saw only white caps at first, but then spotted a small head bobbing in the foam. Rick, said Debbie, he's going to drown. Rick quickly considered his options. He was a strong swimmer, but anyone leaping into these seas would be committing suicide. He realised a rip was running close to the rocks, 
pushing the boys southwards towards their fishing spot. An idea flashed. If Michael came close to the point, Rick could stretch out his three-metre surf rod. If the boy could grab it, they might pull him to safety. Debbie, Rick said, get my fishing rod. Though half paralysed with fear, Michael had the sense to stay floating, realising he had to conserve energy. Someone will come for me, he thought. But when a swell swamped his head, he panicked. Help, he spluttered, thrashing about. The blurry figure of a man on the rocks yelled, Lie on your back! We'll get you when you come round the point! The commanding voice cut through Michael's panic, and he obediently rolled over and extended his arms. From a sheltered rock near the end of the point, Rick stretched the rod over the water as far as he could. He felt a surge of hope when he observed that the current was steering Michael towards him. Keep coming, he prayed. Guiding himself as best he could, Michael drifted closer until his head was just a few metres from the tip of the rod. As a swell subsided, Michael lunged at the fibreglass wand with his right hand, but missed by centimetres. Again the boy grabbed, but his beckoning fingertips were now a metre away, then two. As the swirling current dragged Michael into deeper, rougher water, Rick's gut tightened in despair. Oh no, said Debbie, the poor little guy. Then Michael's head disappeared under another wave. With mounting urgency, Rick stared at the sea. At last he saw the boy again, a frightened face looking back beseechingly at him. In that instant Rick knew he would have to go in. He felt a rush of fear but then it was gone. In its place came a calm resolve. I'd never live with myself if I did nothing. Rick tugged his t-shirt off, an idea forming. As an eleven-year-old he had been carried away by a rip at Mollymook Beach. He had exhausted himself trying to paddle against the current and was half drowned by the time he was rescued. Afterwards, Rick's father had told him, in that situation, float with the current and wait for help, even if it takes you out. Now Rick intended to heed his father's advice. Call for help, he told Debbie. Then, in a lull between sets of waves, he turned and dived into the ocean. Ignoring the shock of the 13-degree water, he stroked powerfully and was at Michael's side in two minutes. He looped his right arm round the grateful boy's chest, forcing his chin up. We'll wait for help, Rick said. But as the pair drifted past the entrance to the storm's fishing cove, 30 metres offshore, the waves resumed their rhythmic landward roll with renewed intensity. In the cove, the swell sucked back and forth with awesome power, each retreating monster exposing the glistening black rock of a seabed before the next one thundered in. Now a wave the size of a house rose up between Rick and Michael and sent them hurtling towards land. Rick tried to kick free of its embrace, but his efforts were useless. The wave broke, smashing the pair onto the sea floor. Twisting to shield Michael, Rick landed on his back with the boy on top of him. Grinding pain shot through Rick's abdomen. Then the pair were buried beneath a wall of water. As he was sucked backwards by the retreating wave, Rick surfaced in a rush of foam, stunned by the violence of the impact. It's not fair. I just buried Dad. Now I'm going to go too. Through blurred eyes, Rick saw Michael treading water nearby. Help me, the boy begged, his face crumpling. Faced with the child's anguish, Rick fought back his own despair. Hang on, mate. We'll make it, he gasped. We'll swim out. If we get separated, don't panic. Just stay afloat. Grabbing Michael by an arm, Rick began swimming side-stroke, 
his chest aching intensely. Then his stomach leapt as another wave catapulted them towards shore. Again the pair were flung against the sea floor. Once more Rick landed on his back. When he came to the surface, he had been dragged thirty metres out and lost his grip on the boy. Michael had disappeared. At the Surf Lifesaving Clubhouse overlooking Mollymook Beach, lifesaver Len Bolan, 36, listened with thumping heart to the report that people had been swept off the rocks and into the ocean. A former rugby fullback, Len had only recently turned his athletic skills to volunteer surf lifesaving and had never been involved in a genuine emergency. Len realised the sea was too wild to make a rescue from the rocks likely. He grabbed his kayak-like racing ski and headed for the beach. Soon Len was spearing through the thunderous shore break and paddling towards the headland. After being separated from Rick, Michael was shot to the surface and dragged 100 metres farther by a rogue current. Fear and loneliness swept over the boy. Mum, he sobbed. He wished his mother were here to tell him what to do. He felt himself sinking. Then he remembered Rick's advice. Don't panic, stay afloat. With teeth chattering, Michael turned on his back and floated. He had been in the water for 45 minutes. Losing sight of the cliffs each time his ski plunged into a trough, Len Bolan noticed that bystanders on the shore were waving and pointing. He scanned the crests anxiously. Nothing. Then he glimpsed a dark shape on a swell nearby. Len dug in his paddle and powered forward. As Len drew near, Michael's face stared up at him. A kid! And he's alive! When the ski nosed past, the boy wrapped his arms round its bow. Awkwardly, Len paddled back the way he had come, towing the exhausted boy. A minute later, he heard the buzzing of the surf club's inflatable rescue dinghy, and soon the men were helping Michael in. 300 metres to the north, unseen by the lifesavers, Rick edged away from the grasp of the tumultuous inlet. Though only 50 metres from land, he realised he risked being bludgeoned to death if he tried to get there again. His lower abdomen felt numb. Wavelets hitting his face sapped his resolve. Almost matter-of-factly, he thought, I've had it. Then Rick noticed a current seemed to be steering him towards a cluster of rocks about 200 metres south from where he originally dived in. He felt a flicker of hope. The rocks seemed lower there, the waves not quite so rough. Maybe I can still climb out. Afraid his limbs could seize from exhaustion any second, Rick began a feeble dog paddle, focusing on the new target. A wave picked him up and sent him torpedoing towards shore. Seconds later, his head thudded into rock. As the wave receded, he found himself lying on his side in a shallow crevice. But the sea had not finished with him. Another wave struck and began to suck him feet first into the ocean. Instead of despair, Rick now felt a surge of rage. It won't get me. He clawed wildly for finger holds. He made a fist round a clump of weed, but his fingers slipped off. He willed his digits to dig in. Two nails on his right hand and his left big toenail snapped back, grotesquely sticking up at right angles as the slide continued. I'm gone, Rick thought. With sudden clarity, Rick saw a rock protrusion shaped like a shoehorn about a metre to his left. He lunged at it with both hands and held on. Three more waves pummeled him. Each time his bloodied, half-submerged body swung like a pendulum. Each time he hung on grimly. 
Then he hooked his left foot into a hole in the rock face and levered himself clear of the water. Finding more handholds, he hauled himself onto a boulder. He tried to stand, but his vision went black and he collapsed, banging his head again. Fifty-five minutes had passed since his plunge into the sea. Having followed Rick's progress, Debbie and other bystanders ran 150 metres to help him, arriving just as Rick was trying to sit up. Debbie knelt and flung her arms around her husband. What happened to the boy? Rick muttered as he was helped to his feet. He's been picked up. He's okay, a lifesaver told him. Oh, you beaut, Rick whispered. Again, he fell unconscious. A helicopter flew Rick to Milton Hospital, where he was treated for hypothermia, concussion, internal bleeding, bruised kidneys, abrasions to his arms, legs and stomach, and fluid in the lungs, injuries that would take a month to heal. Michael was treated for hypothermia and deep wounds to his feet and chin. The lifesavers agree that he would have suffered far worse injury or death without Rick's help. When doctors pulled back the curtain that separated their beds in hospital, Michael burst into tears. Thanks for helping me, mister, he said. Rick smiled. No problem, mate. I told you we'd make it. Today, Rick says the events at Mollymook have brought a change in his life. In the past, I'd insist that spare time was my time. Knowing how quickly life can end, I now appreciate how precious family is. Michael describes the ordeal as his second christening. I never really believed before, he says. Now I think, maybe he's got something special planned for me. In September 1993, in recognition of Rick Storm's rescue attempt, the Governor of Queensland presented him with an Australian Bravery Medal, one of the nation's highest awards for courage. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia.